values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, thanks for being here. A little concerning story uh, this morning on, on multiple websites, a national story. Goldman Sachs making predictions for the real estate market this year. They have predicted four markets in the country that they believe are going to see an increase, almost like we saw in 2008. There was such a real estate bubble in, in the mid-2000s where home prices were increasing so dramatically, so fast, that people saw it as a bubble. And it was. And when it burst, uh, home values dropped, I think, about 27%, or it was a big number. And there were a lot of foreclosures and short sales, and it was bad for the economy for a long time. A lot of defaults on mortgages. And so what we've been hearing about what's happening now with the recession that may be coming in real estate, as many experts have been saying for a long time, it's not like 08. It's not the same thing. And for many reasons, we had an expert on the show here talking about that, saying that we have a demand for homes. We have a short supply. So that is going to keep our prices high with the supply and demand part of things. But Goldman Sachs is saying that the Phoenix area is one of the four. That are going to they're thinking they're going to see a significant increase in pricing. We're already seeing some prices up. Uh, the metro Phoenix area remains very, very strong in the real estate market. But again, they're saying it's likely they're not saying it's going to happen, but they are warning and saying that they believe based on the data they see it might happen. Um, I disagree with them and maybe it's because I'm very, very hopeful. But I think that what we are seeing in Arizona is a couple of things. The diversification of our employment here, the job market remains very, very strong. The jobs that are out there now pay better than they have before. Although we've had very, very high inflation, we have seen wage increases. Housing remains very strong. There is a big demand for housing. So I think with those two things together, I don't believe that this is going to happen to us. What we should be doing um, as uh, as a society, I think, is take a look at what causes things like this to happen. Um, and in this case, I look at the four places that they've talked about and uh, these four areas. And you look at some of them, it makes sense, and some of them, it does not. So it's San Jose, California, so in Northern California, uh, San Diego, Southern California, uh, Austin, Texas, and Phoenix, Arizona. They're saying that they believe that they're going to see a noticeable increase, but then there's going to be a drastic decrease in the value of homes. I don't I don't subscribe to this, but I look at the overall uh, power and strength of the economy and I look at how I, I am a firm believer. I'm, I'm not a I've never been a doomsdayer with the American economy because we are too big and too strong and too industrious. And maybe that's, again, my my patriotism is skewing the reality of things in some people's minds. But I don't see America failing. I mean, we got through 08. It took a long time to climb out of that recession. But Arizona recovered fairly quickly. We were on we were on a cliff, man. If you I was, you know, doing this job then, and I remember talking to often talking to then Governor uh, Jan Brewer and the difficult decisions that had to be made with the legislature and cuts that had to be made because per capita we had the worst deficit of any state in the country. And in a span of ten years, look what we've turned around and done as a state. Now, is it because of of good policy? From my perspective, I would say absolutely. Those legislatures, along with Governor Ducey's office and the plan that they all had together of of business diversification and everything else, did great things for our economy. I believe that to be true. 
But in addition to that, um, it, it, of that good policy is also um, growth, and that this is an area that is still a destination where people are coming. Um, I love this time of year in Arizona, especially when you add the Super Bowl into the mix. We have every year we have Barrett Jackson and uh, Russo and Steele and uh, the car auctions that are here. Uh, Barrett Jackson is another one of those things that is such a unique event here that just has a buzz around the valley, especially Scottsdale and the East Valley um, and the people that it draws to the valley this time of year. Now, we joked about this yesterday in a little bit. Second day in a row, I've gotten into my car just after 530 to come to the radio station and had ice on my windshield where I actually had to sit in my driveway and let the uh, let the defrosters get the ice off my windshield before I could leave to come to work and um that's a you know we joke about it but you look at what's happening in other parts of the country the weather here is perfect during the day don't think for a moment that these wealthy people coming out here to drop millions of dollars on cars don't look around and say man we got to get a place out here we need to be out here Every single year we have the WM Phoenix Open. Every year. A couple of hundred thousand people will be on that golf course on Saturday. And what's cool about it this year, because it's every year at Super Bowl weekend, what's cool about it on Super Bowl year when we're hosting the Super Bowl in Glendale is you can sit on that golf course because it's so close to Scottsdale Airport and just watch private jet after private jet after private jet land at the airport in Scottsdale all day long, Wednesday through Sunday. And so we are attracting some of the movers and shakers from around the world into Arizona. They're going to be out here. And you can't buy that kind of advertising. What's going to happen Super Bowl week here? What the Super Bowl experience is going to be like? And then you know how it is during the game. And and they do the same thing during the golf tournament when it's nationally televised. Is there's always that shot of a camera up on South Mountain that shows the beauty of the valley. They're out in the desert. They're out in places that show just the absolute beautiful place we live in. So, you know, if I could be the ambassador for Arizona, it'd be a job I'd give this one up for in a heartbeat um, if there would be one. And I love what I do here. But if there were, if I could go out and tell the world about this great state, that's what I do for a living. So I'm not I don't believe that we are going to crash because we're such a destination. And we're going to continue to be a destination. And it's not retirement. You know, one of the best places, the best place in the country to retire is my former home, Fort Myers, Cape Coral, Florida, has been rated number one again as the best place to retire in the country. Phoenix is somewhere around 50-something, which I was surprised by. I thought it would be higher. People aren't coming here to retire as much anymore. They're coming here to build their life. This is where young people are coming out with the tech industry exploding here in Arizona. People are coming out here to start their careers, not end their careers. And so we are seeing that influx of young people that are just starting to generate their wealth, not just people that are coming here that have already made their money and are just living out their days. And I think that's going to to keep us afloat, and it's going to keep us in the good position we are to withstand um, a recession. Now, I could be wrong. You know, I've been wrong so many times in my life about things. But when you look at the things that maybe the the data doesn't tell you, you know, the trends in the data, they've been wrong before. And I'm hoping – I'm sure they hope they're wrong too. You don't want to predict doom and gloom for someone and then turn around and say, see, I told you I was right. But I, I just thought it was interesting as, as we look at our economy locally and nationally, I like where we are in Arizona, and I think a lot of people do as well.
Uh, what we're going to do in a moment is I had an interesting conversation with my friend Steve Hooper just after 9 o'clock. Now, Steve's got an interesting life. Him and his wife both spent between them over 50 years with the FBI. They had such illustrious careers that are some of the stories that we've told, and I think I'm going to have them to do some of these stories again of the cases they've been involved in, but dealing with classified documents their entire careers. So a little bit of insight into what's happening with the president, the former president, the former vice president, and maybe even more people down the road. Get some of the inside information on what those documents are and why this is such a big deal. So we'll do that coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, we learned recently that now former Vice President Mike Pence has said he had classified documents in his possession, self-reported, and has turned those documents over. And so now it, it begs the question, which I've been asking from the beginning of this, how often does something like this happen? If you think about who is still living, our presidents that are still alive, go back to Jimmy Carter. He is still alive. But you've got Jimmy. Jimmy Carter, you have got Bill Clinton, you've got George W. Bush, you've got Barack Obama, you've got Trump. They are all still alive, former presidents. You've got former vice presidents that are still alive, Dick Cheney, um, Al Gore, um, uh, uh, so many of them that are still alive that you would have to wonder now, do we need to ask them? Um, uh, do they possess documents? How does something like this happen? So I went to the expert that I know. His name is Steve Hooper, and Steve has got such an interesting life and story. Uh, him and his wife have a company called Tripwire Security Solutions. They um, consult with school districts and with corporations on security and threat assessment and uh, you know, kind of offsetting the mass shootings and getting ahead of things before they become a major threat. And uh, with all their time between them, over 50 years in the FBI, they're experts in this area. He's also a professor of the School of Intelligence. Intelligence and security at uh, Embry Riddle in northern Arizona, um, and so a wealth of information. And I asked him about this. I asked him, "Is this a common occurrence that people that you know some of these people retain these documents?" It probably happens more than we realize, uh, but probably not as much as we think. I think that you know uh, part of the problem is volume, and especially at the president and vice president level, they are uh, constantly looking at uh, classified information. So what the other thing is, I'm going to jump around in the interview, and if you want to hear a wealth of information, go back on the podcast and listen to the interview. It was at the beginning of the 9 o'clock hour, beginning of the second hour of the show. And um, I want to talk about the differences here because he brought up something I hadn't thought of but I also hadn't talked about is that you know presidents and vice presidents will have documents that they look at all the time, and because their jobs are so mobile – they would have the ability – like uh, uh, first let me describe what a skiff is, and I'm going to let him do this. A skiff is a facility – is a room or a facility where you keep classified documents. Here's the description. You go into the skiff. It's a, a, a secure room. All the documents are kept in there. You can't bring your phone in. You can't bring any electronic devices in. In fact, if you take notes about what you're reading in there, you can't even take the notes out. You can read the documents, and then you can leave. But you can't bring anything in there out, including any notes you take. So that's how strict it is with the skiff. 
where he was uh, went on to say that the president's the, the White House is a skiff itself, um, that the president would have classified documents that he wouldn't have to go into a specified room within the White House to read those documents. The president's home could have a room in it that is deemed a skiff as well, that is certified and qualified to be a skiff. The vice president as well, that they may have at their home. But he went on to talk about the difference, and here there is a difference. He said because FBI agents and CIA operatives don't have that ability. In other words, they cannot take those documents with them or have somebody bring the documents to their home that there are many times that FBI agents have been called in the middle of the night. They got to get dressed and drive down to the office to go into the skiff to read a document that nobody's bringing it. There's a difference between a president and a vice president and an FBI agent or a CIA officer. So uh, I want you to hear him talk about this difference. The members of Congress and senators are no different than FBI agents or CIA case officers. Their rules never change. They, they're they not allowed to bring stuff home. They're not on the same level as a president and vice president. So senators and uh, members of Congress that uh, bring stuff home, they're, they're in the same uh, boat as the uh, – they're, they're just government employees like the rest of us. So he said this is why the Biden case is so intriguing because when and why is questioned is the question because did some of this happen while he was a senator? It'll be interesting in – the president's case where that's why I said the when and why is the key piece to this investigation. When were those brought home? Was he vice president? Was he president or was he senator? And I think that'll play into some of this investigation. So this is where it gets very, very interesting. The case can be made, you know, when Trump has made the case, Trump has said, I'm the president of the United States or I was and presidents can declassify any document they want. All they have to say is this isn't classified anymore. Now, um, whether that is technically true or not, and I believe that it is technically true, we understand that doesn't excuse having documents that have been deemed top secret or classified kind of laying around in a room. But the president would have a reason to have documents at his home or a home that he owns. Even in Biden's case, as the vice president of the United States, were some of these documents that he had that just weren't returned that should have been. Not excusing the behavior, but we're talking about a president and a vice president where, as what Mr. Hooper is saying, is, isn't something that is so um, out of line with what presidents and vice presidents do at times doesn't excuse the behavior and being irresponsible if there is irresponsibility and not doing it the right way and returning them to a secure location. But if you do it as a senator or as a representative and a member of the House, it is illegal that they have to go physically into the skiff. Same rules that would apply to you or me if we had a security clearance or an FBI agent or a or an operate you know an officer from the CIA is that you have to physically go to the room. They don't bring the room to you. So that's a part of this that's gonna be curious is that did President Biden have documents as a senator outside of a skiff? That is a direct violation. And the last thing I'll say on this. Because when I talk to Steve about this, there's differing levels of what punishments could be up to and including losing your security clearance and being fired if you mishandle classified documents. So this is going to be an interesting investigation as it moves forward. I just thought it would be interesting to hear from an expert. In a moment, um, cutting taxes and increasing revenue. In the end – Don't we want to get the most money we can into the treasury of the state or into the federal level to pay for the things that the the country needs? Do we have a spending problem or do we have an income problem? We'll talk about it next. 
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. What works when it comes to the economy? What is it that fills the coffers without emptying the wallets and the pockets of the American people? There is my my opinion, again, the class warfare in America is a damaging thing across the board. When they, <clears throat> when I, this is my, this will be the closest thing to a conspiracy theory you're going to hear from me, I think. When they pit us against each other, I'm talking about Republicans and Democrats. Think about how we're divided in this country and how often the conversation has been divided among us. Um, it's, it's white versus black, man versus woman, gay versus straight, um, rich versus poor. Republican versus Democrat, and we always have these battles that go on. And in reality, the battle really is that we all should have a healthy suspicion of the people we elect to office locally and all the way up to the federal level. And we are going to have difference of differences of opinion on how the government spends our money. What are the programs that the government should be investing in as far as the betterment of society? And that conversation, I think, is a valuable one. And the checks and balances from both parties having that opinion are really what makes the system work when it's operating the right way. What we don't do anymore is we don't question the people in our own party. As a matter of fact, it's become almost off limits that um, automatically if somebody on my side of the aisle does something wrong, my inclination, the knee-jerk reaction is I have to defend what they've done or diminish the severity of what they've done so that I don't look bad. And so what's effectively happened is you and I fight each other instead of us looking at them and saying, that's right, that's wrong, don't ever do that again. You know, so calling out this guy Santos, you know, for me, uh, calling him out was an easy thing to do. I mean, he's a Republican, but the guy lied about everything, lied about everything. McCarthy is now saying that if he is found to have broken laws, that he's going to be thrown out. Um, And that's the way it should operate. It shouldn't matter what party someone is in. Um, So I I say that to talk about ideologies that make us different, and this is what we should be fighting about. Um, President Biden talks about uh, he talked about trickle down economics and how it doesn't work. I don't believe him. I don't I don't I don't agree with him. But this is him in a comment about sales taxes. I love their 30 percent sales tax. Um, We want to talk a lot about that. Um, He was being sarcastic. There is a movement in Congress that I don't think is going to go anywhere that would um, abolish the IRS, would get rid of the income tax structure the way it is, and we would go to a sales tax or some kind of a tax on the goods and services that we buy. And what has really got people worried about that is that would be a lot more fair. But there would be people right now that aren't paying any income taxes whatsoever because they get the refund at the end of the year of almost everything they've put in, sometimes more than they've put in, the way our system has worked, when you've got child tax credits and head of household and all this other stuff um, that I don't know that it would uh, fair is not necessarily what people are looking for. They have different definitions of it. But what works here in Arizona, um, we've watched in the eight years of the previous administration, we watched a pretty dramatic reduction in taxes. And um, we have also seen a pretty dramatic increase in money into the state treasury. We have also seen businesses flock to Arizona that pay really well. And people of means and people that are just starting out and are making very little money are doing better now than they have before. Um, That is not 
all that nothing's 100 percent. But generally speaking, that's the way it is. When you see and what's happening right now is that the federal government is raising taxes on businesses, big and small, not just not just big business, not just corporate America. I wouldn't say it was a good thing if they did. But my point in this is what works. Um, when President Trump and the Trump tax cuts, which everybody on the left said it's adding to the deficit. No, no, no. Our overspending is adding to the deficit. The Trump tax cuts actually helped increase revenue into the Treasury. I'm not making this up. You can go and look it up anytime you want that we set records month after month, quarter after quarter, year after year with revenue into the Treasury. We spend too much money. The two examples I use whenever I talk about this, um, and I mean this respectfully, I don't mean it as an insult, are Michael Jackson and Elton John. Elton John is still alive, but he has told the story. Elton John filed bankruptcy. Not only is Elton John uber wealthy from the records he made in the 70s and 80s, um, not only is he got income there, mailbox money that comes in, he is still sought after. He still fills arenas when he sings. He's, he not only had great wealth, he still generates great wealth. Well, that's America. We generate enormous wealth. But Elton John tells the story that it's hard to believe, but Elton John even though he was making millions and millions and millions of dollars, he still was spending more than he made. Now, we hear about athletes, especially when it comes to professional athletes, where the window of their money making is very small. Five, six years, I think, is, and it depends on what position you play in the NFL, that your window of opportunity is very small on average. So you make big money for a short amount of time, but then you can't make that kind of money in the private sector and doing other things. So we've heard about athletes who blow through their money and they end up broke. But we're talking about an individual that not only had a bunch of money, but continued to generate great amount, great amount of wealth throughout his life that was still spending more money than he was making. That's the U.S. Redundancy and waste. The story we talked about, billions of dollars, the Department of Defense and billions of dollars of equipment that they cannot account for. Hundreds of billions of dollars in equipment that they don't know where it is. You and I paid for it. They can't tell you where that equipment is. Waste in uh, whether it was PPP loan fraud or it's um, unemployment fraud during uh, COVID, billions of dollars. We're talking with a B in just waste and loss. So instead of us arguing about this program being valuable or we should cut this, or we got to cut back on that, we can't cut back, we can't balance the budget on the backs of poor people, why aren't we as citizens looking at our federal government and saying, before you raise one penny of taxes on any American citizen, why don't you dig in like any other reasonable person would do and find out where your waste is? Find out where you're wasting and losing. Get that sorted out to the tune of billions of dollars. Stop the redundancy. Stop the waste. Stop the loss. And we don't even look at those things. So the ideological difference with the president of the United States is raising taxes on business. That's his plan. He thinks wealthy people need to pay more at a time when we are seeing the job market slow down. The economy is slowing down by design to lower inflation. So they are going to see less revenue and higher taxes. That doesn't sound like a plan for success to me. That sounds like a recipe for disaster is what that sounds like. 
And I just want what's, what works. My political ideology um, is my political ideology because I want things to work. You know, governments are by, by nature, they are inefficient. Private sector is so much better at fixing issues. And we see this waste and all this other stuff. And all of us collectively, there's a lot of people that listen to this show based on my social media that don't agree with me. But we should be we both we all should be critical of the government and how they're wasting our money on. No one's a bigger defender of the military than I am. No one does work with veterans organizations more than I do. And it was the Department of Defense that's got billions of dollars in equipment that they can't find. They can't tell you, the taxpayer, where that equipment is. None of us should tolerate that. Let's start there. It'd be a place we could at least agree on something in a moment. A new bill would give members of Congress the same health care plan that veterans get at the VA. I love this idea. We'll talk about what it is in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Um, Big news about the Phoenix Suns' new ownership. Look like it's going to happen before the February 9th trade deadline. That will be a closing of a chapter. Let's see moving forward if the Phoenix Suns can stay on track where they've been the last few years. Looks like they're back on their winning ways, getting some of their players back. We're going to reach out to some of our uh, our friends over at Arizona Sports and get some details uh, in the coming hours and days. But keep you locked to KTAR News. They'll have the latest, of course. Uh, This is interesting. A GOP bill would stick Congress members with Veterans Health Care Plan to call attention to the failing VA. A Republican bill introduced this week would force members of Congress and their staff to get health care from the Department of Veterans Affairs, a change aimed at forcing lawmakers to recognize the longstanding problems with the VA. House and Senate lawmakers and staff are required to get their health coverage through the Washington, D.C. health insurance exchange created under Obamacare. They get access to gold-level plans, which means they pay 20% of their health care costs, with taxpayers covering 80%. So let's talk about just first of all the showmanship in this. I think it does show the failings of the VA system in many ways. I want to make sure I say and give a little bit of credit where credit is due is that the Veterans Administration, at least here in Arizona, the VA hospital here has turned around a great deal that we are finding out that veterans are cared for in a a much bigger way. Um, There is a company here in Arizona called TriWest Healthcare Alliance. And they uh, used to have a a TRICARE, which handled the health insurance needs of members of the military in the western United States. And what they did as a company, because they're still based here in Phoenix, um, TriWest Healthcare Alliance implemented the veterans, you know, that card that they carried that they could go outside of the system. So uh, when we found out about the failings at the VA, and I want to clarify because I've heard from many, many veterans, many of them, I was on the front lines of this argument and this fight. Many veterans said that once you're in the VA, the care is great, that the nurses and the doctors and the staff are really veteran focused, as they should be at the VA, but that they love their job. They're good at their job. The problem was they were so overwhelmed you couldn't get in. And the they were the worst part about it was at the time management at the VA here in Arizona, and it happened in other places in the country. They were cooking the books. They were making it look like veterans were getting health care in a timely fashion when they weren't. It got exposed and it got taken care of, um, but there were still other issues. So 
they came up with a rule and it was a plan that was negotiated between the late Senator John McCain and Bernie Sanders on both sides of the political aisle, came together and sponsored a piece of legislation that in effect said if you live a certain distance from the VA that you could go outside of the VA system to a private doctor and you could get care there instead of going to a VA facility. If you couldn't get in in a timely manner at a VA facility, you could go outside of the VA. That has been expanded even more. I would say to you that I think if I were running for office or I were in office, a very popular thing with people and would be low-hanging fruit for the voters, as I would say that the American people have an expectation that we care for the veterans in this country in the best way. So I would propose that we give them a gold card, a golden ticket if you're a veteran of this country. Especially if any illness or injury you have is connected to your service. And you can take that card and you can go get health care anywhere you want. And any any healthcare provider that sees that golden ticket knows that you've got the full force of the US government behind it that the bills are going to be paid. That we in the very least should be doing that for our veterans. But we don't. We do it for members of Congress, we do it for their staff. The veterans are stuck in a system that isn't working properly. It's overwhelmed. And so there's got to be a way to loosen that burden on the VA so that the good care that they provide isn't being overwhelmed with a system that's got too many people trying to use it. There were so many horror stories of veterans not getting care, and I don't want to be too morbid about this, but there are stories out there of veterans that in a, in a show of protest when they were finally at the end of their rope were driving down to the VA and committing suicide in the parking lot as a sign of protest to how bad things were. And so this, you know, what would happen if this passed would be this. An already overwhelmed system would have a lot more people seeking care at the VA. So it's not necessarily a good idea in that regard. But sending the message to members of Congress that are you telling me that you believe that you and your staff is entitled to a better medical plan and better medical care than the men and women that have served in our military? And the answer is from every American. This is one of those topics I love because it is not a partisan issue. This is one of the areas. Is where you go to an event that's pro troops, you go to an event for veterans, and you no one even asks if you're Republican or Democrat. It is such a non-issue. This is both parties. We differ on the strength of the military sometimes. We differ on the involvement of the military sometimes. But everybody knows that members of the military don't do. They don't choose. They follow orders. And when they've sworn that oath to stand up and defend this country, up to and including giving of their lives, we owe them a debt in return. And the least we can do as a nation is provide them quality health care for the rest of their life. And we don't necessarily. And so I would, you know, again, wouldn't you say, whoever you are, especially if you're someone that disagrees with me almost all of the time, wouldn't you agree with me that Veterans deserve at least as good, if not better, health care benefits from the taxpayers than members of Congress or their staff. Nothing against members of Congress or their staff. But when you're weighing the the weight of the service to their country, wouldn't you say that the veterans are the ones that should be first in line? I just love that there's more attention being brought to this. I think it's fantastic. And I hope that this little kind of game gets more attention and it gets more attention on the issue. Um, Coming up just after 11, we're going to talk about school choice. There is a poll that shows Americans overwhelmingly backing school choice and parental rights in education. We'll describe what the poll says and what the ideas are next.